Well, like I mentioned earlier, yesterday this room was packed to the gills with kids for breakfast with Santa. And if you've never been, I want you to come next year serving or bringing a friend, bringing a neighbor. Uh, it's an awesome time as we serve the kids food, as they get to hear about the, the true Christmas story through a fun video. And then, of course, all the kids sit on Santa's lap. And now I'm friends with Santa, and we go eat barbecue sometimes and Griffin and other things. And so I talked to him after the event, and I said, you know, what were the most asked for gifts? Because I was up here taking some pictures, and he said, you know, drum set was a hot gift this year. Uh, PlayStation, I don't know if it's four, five, six, what is it right now? Four, okay, four. PlayStation 4. Um, monster trucks, but then when I was up here kind of hanging out with the kids, my favorite gift that I saw, I actually took a picture of the list, was from one of our pals' kids. Number three, the honey bun. <laughs> that's, that's an amazing, amazing thing to ask for. Um, I, know, I know people in his household were excited um, to be sharing that on Christmas morning. So, got the honey bun, and so uh, as I was watching all the kids up here uh, sitting with Santa Claus, I thought back to when I used to go to Santa Claus every year, because if you were here last year, I played a little video clip of me at Santa. Every year from about zero to 15, I went to the mall, sat on Santa's lap and asked him for different things. And when I was, uh, I would say maybe starting about three years old, there was one thing I really wanted from Santa. And that was a power wheel. Do y'all know what a power wheel is? Okay, this is a power wheel. This is an F-150 power wheel, chrome rims, blue, cobalt blue, and uh, these things are awesome because you can just cruise around the neighborhood when you're a little kid. You can say hey to people. You can pick up folks. Um, I mean, every kid is envious of the kids with these. It helps you make a lot of friends, and so this is what I wanted. And so when I was about three years old, I, I went before Santa. I said, hey, Santa, this year I want a power wheel. And that Christmas morning, uh, I woke up early because I'm the youngest of three boys. So, you know, I'm getting everybody up. My dad goes in to check things. And then he lets us run into the living room. And I run in the living room. Nothing that looks like that. Nothing like that. It was like train set, something like that. And I was like, okay, you know what? Maybe I'm working on my words, how to express myself. So the next year, I thought I'm going to ask again. So the next year I asked again, I went to Santa, said, hey, Santa, I want a power wheel. Nothing. No, nothing like that. I got other stuff. Uh, nothing like that. So then finally, I was like, I'm going to give it one more shot. I asked Santa, I said, Santa, would you give me a power wheel? And then on Christmas morning, underneath the tree, I don't know what happened to this tree over here. Um, underneath the Christmas tree was this. Do y'all know what this is? This is a big wheel. Not a power wheel. This is not a power wheel. A big wheel and a power wheel, the key difference is, is one is automatic, one is manual. And so this one requires a lot more work. This one is for younger kids. And so I got a big black big wheel for, uh, for Christmas. And, um, and I was angry for many years. I was angry for many years. I resented I resented. Uh, all the universe for what happened to me and I especially got angry every time my house is on a huge driveway and so I'd, I'd roll down in my big wheel and then every time I had to make the long walk up with the power wheel instead of driving the big wheel 
it made me kind of upset. And, you know, maybe you've had an experience like this at Christmas where you had your wish list. You had the one thing that you wanted. If you're a generation above me, maybe you had the Sears Roebuck gift catalog. Anybody in here have the catalog? You got that at your house? And so not anymore. I know Amazon has a catalog now. The parents were telling me yesterday. So you'd get the catalog, you'd circle the items, you'd fold the pages, maybe tear them out, leave them around the house for people to see them. Um, and, you know, you'd, you'd do that hoping and wishing you got what you wanted for Christmas. Now it's a little easier for kids. They just make an Amazon wish list and email it to grandparents and stuff without their parents knowing. But no matter how you wanted your gifts or where you found your gifts, if it was at the mall and a commercial, if you saw it at a friend's house, a lot of us had that same experience on Christmas of wishing and hoping and anticipating and wanting all sorts of different things because for a lot of us growing up, Christmas was really like a second birthday. I mean, it was a huge party and, and there was lots of gifts and it was a really fun time. Now, like I said earlier, I'm, I'm over not getting uh, the F-150. I mean, I could buy one now if I wanted to. I'd probably get one of the little John Deere Gator ones. Um, maybe my son will get one. But I'm not going to inflict my emotional wounds on my sons because actually I've been healed <laughs> from wanting this. And it happened slowly over time as I got older. But I began to get over not getting the exact gift I wanted as I began to learn a very basic truth about Christmas and that is that Christmas was not my birthday Christmas is Jesus's birthday now that seems very basic but sometimes it's the most basic things that we really have a hard time lodging in our head and in our hearts and this very basic truth that Christmas is not our birthday Christmas is Jesus's birthday is very hard for us to internalize during this time of the year because the advertisers are telling us something completely different people are, are begging us for gifts we feel cultural pressure to get stuff for family members for friends for teachers and all over the place and so the world is telling us over and over again during this season that Christmas is all about getting 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 buying 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 Christmas is all about us. And so sometimes this idea that Christmas isn't really about us, Christmas is about Jesus' birthday, has a hard time breaking through. See, the story is telling us, the world is telling us one story every year, that, that Christmas is about us. But the true Christmas story is something completely different. It's about God. It's about God who stepped down from heaven into earth in the person of Jesus Christ. And so, because there's so much competition between these stories, and we're bombarded with advertisements over and over and over all day long, we have to immerse ourselves in a different story. We have to return to the true story of Christmas. And that's why I don't think you can ever return to the Christmas stories too many times because it's as these stories shape our imagination and shape our Christmas celebrations that things really begin to change in our lives and in our worlds and at Christmas time. And so this morning what I want to do is I want us to, to go back to a very familiar story. Last week we looked at the beginning of the Gospel of Luke. This week we're going to be looking at the beginning of the Gospel of Matthew at his account of the Christmas story from Matthew chapter 2. So if you have your Bibles, I want to invite you to open it up together. And if you don't have a Bible, we actually have Bibles as a, as a free gift to you 
uh, all year long, not just at Christmas. We'd love for you to grab one on your way out. And I want us to look at Matthew chapter 2, because this is really one of the most interesting and dramatic birthday parties that we see in all of Scripture. And so Matthew chapter 2, verse 1, here's how it begins. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and they asked, Where is the one who's been born king of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and we've come to worship him. Now, Magi, you know, you might be familiar with the other term they're often called, which is wise men. Um, And this is because these men likely had a a superior education to, to other people in that day. They had studied things like astrology they they knew things about the interpretation of dreams they were from persia they were oftentimes advisors to people like kings and if you look in nativity scenes a lot of times you notice how they have very different clothing than everybody else they kind of have foreign clothing and that's because they were truly foreigners they came from a long distance away and they were searching for this one who had been born king of the jews and so then we continue when king herod heard all of this he was disturbed and all of Jerusalem with him. When he had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. In Bethlehem and Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. And then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem, and he said, Go and search carefully for the child, and as soon as you find him, report to me, so that I may go and worship him. Now, these men were wise enough to know that Herod didn't probably want to actually worship this new king, because if you're a king and another king is born in your area and is subverting your authority, you don't, you don't like that. And so they, they kind of begin to realize, yes, some people are celebrating the birth of this child, but other people are feeling threatened by this child and so after they had heard the king they went on their way and the star they had seen when it rose went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was and when they saw the star they were overjoyed and on coming to the house they saw the child with his mother mary and they bowed down and worshiped him and then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold frankincense and myrrh So I want you to try to imagine this scene. I mean, the Magi have traveled a long way. We don't know, but it's likely they they traveled for months, even years, seeking this child who had been born king of the Jews. And so I'm sure they were tired. They had been sleeping under the stars around campfires. And, and then you think about Mary and Joseph and their family. I mean, at this point, Jesus wasn't, he wasn't just born. I mean, this is a little while after he was born. So they've been raising a child. And, you know, early on, in the stories of Jesus' birth, we see, you know, Joseph was visited in a dream. We see Mary heard from an angel. But now that they're raising this little Jesus, maybe they were thinking, like, is all of this real? Is this, like, is this really the Son of God? Like, he, he's kind of acting like a baby. I mean, maybe they're just kind of wondering what's going on. And then these men from a completely foreign world show up at their house, and they kneel down and worship him. And I just imagined that that Mary and Joseph are crying and they're like, this is the Son of God. 
This is the one who's been born king of the Jews. And these men, they kneel in submission and worship to him. And I imagine they're crying with joy coming to the end of their journey. And there is this amazing celebration happening here. And then in the midst of the celebration of the king's birth, they offer him gifts. They actually give him what you could think of as birthday gifts. Gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And now, if you think about these three gifts... I mean, they're a little out of the ordinary. The only time we hear about them much is around Christmas. And uh, this church is a very generous church. And a few weeks back, uh, the church held a baby shower for Emily and I. And guess what? Nobody gave us gold. Nobody gave us frankincense. And nobody gave us myrrh. Those were not on our registry. And I don't think they were on Mary and Joseph's registry. I don't think they were wanting these things for the baby Jesus. These were very odd gifts. And so, you know, when they received them, they were probably like, I don't... I don't really know what what we're supposed to do with this because gold, I mean, back then, just like it is now, was worth a great amount of money. It was a gift really reserved for royalty. Frankincense was like a perfume. It was an incense that was burned at special social occasions and in worship. And then myrrh is the oddest of the bunch. It was used to anoint priests, but it was also used to embalm dead bodies. And they give it to them. And so I imagine they're like, what are these gifts? But these birthday gifts that the Magi give to Jesus and his family are really gifts that deeply honored him and that pointed to who he was and what he was going to do in this world. Interpreters throughout church history have seen gold as a sign that that this child is a king. He's the king of kings. And he's worthy of us submitting our lives to him because he knows how we're best called to live in this world. They, They see the frankincense as a sign. It was burned in temple worship as a sign pointing to Jesus' divinity because Jesus, what we celebrate at Christmas, is that he is Emmanuel. He's God with us. And then the myrrh, which was used to embalm bodies is a sign pointing to Jesus' eventual death. His death on a cross like this one over here, which enabled the atonement of our sins so that God and humanity could be reconciled. I mean, these gifts were strange gifts, but they were gifts pointing out to Mary, to Joseph, and to us that this baby and his birth, that this baby was going to change everything. And this is what we remember at Christmas is that Jesus' arrival changes everything in our lives. He is the king of kings we can yield our lives to. He is God with us. And so we know that, that we're never separated from God. He's right there. He knows what life is like on this earth. These gifts remind us that Jesus loves us so much that he gave his life for us so that we could experience life transformation here and now and in the future. Jesus changes everything. And one of my favorite verses in this story is the next verse, verse 12, where we see that Jesus actually changed the Magi's life and their trajectory after their encounter with him. I mean, here's what it says. Having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. And I love that last little phrase. They returned to their country by another route. You see, they had a plan. 
But after they met Jesus, their plans changed. They had allegiances to different kings, but after they met Jesus, their allegiances changed. They had lives, but after they met that baby, they knew that everything was going to be different from that point forward. And that's what Jesus wants for us. He wants to change our lives. And now that can be kind of threatening, but he wants to change our lives for the better as we yield our lives to him over and over again every single day. And and this idea that Jesus wants to change everything, he wants to transform our lives, I mean, this is a very, it's kind of a big statement. That's a big idea. And so this morning, I want to make it very practical and just talk about one aspect of our lives that I believe Jesus wants to change this Christmas. And that is very practically, I think Jesus wants to change this Christmas how we spend our money this Christmas. You see, we grew up maybe thinking like I did that that Christmas was our birthday. But then over time, maybe you mature, maybe you've come to church, maybe this is new for you, learning about Christmas being Jesus' birthday. But, but you learn this, and that kind of changes you, and you learn that actually I can be content at Christmas even when I don't get the stuff I want because it's not about me. But what happens as we get older is that even as we're thinking Christmas is not our birthday, we begin to treat Christmas actually like it's other people's birthdays. And we think, well, I gotta get them gifts. I mean, my family is like, you gotta get every single teacher that you've ever come into contact with a gift. You know, you gotta make cards. You gotta bake goods for everybody. And there's so much cultural pressure from all directions to have this perfect Christmas, to give these amazing gifts. And it can stress us out. And I know that you feel this pressure because every January, many of you get a credit card statement. And when you look at the credit card statement, you, you think about Christmas and how you celebrated it, and maybe you wish you celebrated it differently. So we're trying to get ahead of it this year. Because like I mentioned last week, the average American during this season spends $1,047.83 on Christmas stuff alone, and $30 billion are spent on Christmas stuff every single year. And I think if you just looked back and you made a list of all the Christmas presents you've gotten through your life, or all the ones you've given, I mean, you'd probably find that a lot of them have been excessive. A lot of them have been impersonal and really just kind of insignificant in the grand scheme of things. So Christmas, we have to remember that, that who we're celebrating is Jesus who was born in a manger. He was born in poverty. And he would grow up and he would teach us this very challenging teaching in Matthew chapter six. He said, do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moths and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where moths and vermin don't destroy and where thieves don't break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So I don't, I don't think Jesus wants us going into debt so that we can give amazing gifts to other people this Christmas. I don't think Jesus wants us stressing during these weeks leading up to his birth about who we have to shop for still and whether we're going to get the perfect gift and then thinking about how we're going to pay for it. I think if Jesus were with us in our celebrations today, especially in America, I think he'd say something like this. He'd say, you know what would be amazing for my birthday? If you would spend less and simplify your celebrations. 
Because what happens is as we, we have more stuff and our lives get more and more crowded, Jesus gets pushed out. And when we spend less and when we simplify things at Christmas, not only is it better for our bottom line, but it's also better for our children. It's better for our family. And ultimately, it's better for our world. And this, this began to come home to me a few years ago when I was uh, transitioning to be the associate pastor at Hamilton Mill United Methodist Church where I served right before this. And so one day, I was replacing an associate pastor. So we were driving around the community and we were looking at where to live and schools and all that kind of different stuff. And we were driving on this road and there was trees and all of a sudden out of the top of the trees, I saw a huge white marble building and it had a little gold figurine on the top that looked like it was playing the trumpet. And I had traveled some and I had seen Mormon temples around the world. And so I said, is that a Mormon temple here in Buford, Georgia? And he said, well, not exactly. Um, it's, it's not a Mormon temple, but it's kind of like a temple where people worship. And so we kept driving down the road and then we, we get up closer to it and I saw what it was. It was the Mall of Georgia. <laughs> he said, yeah, it's where a lot of people worship. And what they're worshiping is, is consumerism. I was like, oh, wow. See, consumerism is a way of living in the world that tells us I am what I have, I am what I buy, and I am what I own. All of us are searching for meaning, we're searching for belonging, we're searching for identity and significance because those things are rooted deep in us. And what happens with consumerism is that advertisers and other people tell us that if we buy more stuff, if we get more stuff, then we're, we're, we're gonna find all of those things. And so, I mean, this is one reason why we have strong brand loyalties, right? I'm an Apple person. Well, I, I'm an Android person. Sometimes these brands give us a sense of belonging and community. Sometimes, I don't know anybody in here, I do it from time to time, engage in retail therapy. Because when we're shopping, it gives us a, a sense of worth. We feel like we're doing something significant. And the advertisers love playing off all of these things and telling us that if you just have this item, if you just have the power wheel, if you just have the tickets, if you just have that house, then you're gonna be fulfilled in life. Then you're gonna feel content. Then you're gonna experience joy but you and I know that those things are always fleeting. They never last. And what we celebrate at Christmas is Jesus, the one who came and who gives us a new identity as children of God, who gives us a sense of self-worth, who gives us a community, the church to belong to. He gives us a purpose in this world. We celebrate Jesus who has the power to change everything in our lives including how we celebrate Christmas and how we live every single day. And we were preparing for this series. Um, Nikki Martinez, who's leader of our worship design team, passed along a story to me about a family in a very practical way who began to kind of change their celebrations. And it was originally shared in the 1980s in a magazine. It was a woman named Nancy who wrote in about her family and their most meaningful Christmas tradition. And she said one year, she, she realized her husband, he was just done with it. He was done with all of the shopping, all of the consumerism, all of the stuff at Christmas. 
And he's like, I, I don't need anything. I don't want anything. And so that year she thought, okay, maybe I'm not going to get him another sweater. I'm not going to get him some more socks. I'm, I'm going to do something different. And so she began thinking about what she could do. And so a few weeks later in the Christmas season, her son was at a wrestling match at a, a local school and they were wrestling a, a team that was sponsored by a church and, and they realized that this team, they didn't have headgear, they didn't have wrestling shoes, they didn't have the, the proper equipment and her son's team, they won every single match against this team and her husband just said on an aside, you know, that just stinks, they don't, they don't have the resources to really compete in a, in a fair way, I wish that was different. So she'd been thinking about the gift and so she went to the sporting goods store, she bought a bunch of headgear, singlet shoes, things like that, and she mailed them to the church. And then that Christmas, she put a very basic white envelope in the Christmas tree. And inside was a sheet of paper that told her husband what she did, that she had purchased all of these things for this local team. And she said that when he opened that sheet of paper and he began reading it, that it was the most joy-filled she had ever seen him at Christmas. And for days after, he was just beaming and going about life, and it began to transform the season for him. And so the next year, she did it again. She helped an elderly couple whose house had burned down and put the white envelope in the tree with a note in it. Then the next year, it was helping some students with special needs go on a trip that they wanted to go on. And she said every year when all of their kids had things like power wheels and all these different gifts around the tree, the focus actually transitioned to become the white envelope and people were more excited about what was in that each year and it transformed their Christmas. And now that her kids have kids, they've begun keeping this same tradition as well. They've begun to celebrate Christmas differently. And I know in here we all have unique ways that we celebrate sometimes it's with family sometimes it's just praying that we're apart from family but we've actually in here some of y'all relate to that in, in your bulletins this week um, we've tried to just give you some practical ideas and practical steps for spending less this Christmas and just kind of simplifying things and maybe doing things differently so that the focus is more on Jesus and his arrival in our world. And so in here, I mean, you'll see some different ideas. And one of the big ideas is that when you're thinking about giving gifts this year, I would encourage you to give gifts like the Magi did, gifts that honor people and that are connected with who they are and their interest. And this is a lot harder than just throwing random stuff at Target in your shopping cart and checking somebody off the list. This requires intentionality. This requires some work. But on here we have different suggestions like instead of just sharing stuff maybe try sharing experiences with other people this year if you're good at baking or, or making things maybe make something for somebody this year or find a gift that celebrates relationships and memories one one great gift we have in our household is a cookbook a, that uh, emily's mom put together with all of her favorite recipes and now we have it in our home and it didn't cost much at all you can think about serving other people this year through things like Rise Against Hunger or finding a way together as a family at Return to Bethlehem. There are lots of different ideas and really the purpose of this insert is just to get you talking as a family and thinking about what you currently do and how it might could be a little different this year. And one of my 
favorite, most practical ideas on this list is this one that says, consider limiting the number of gifts to each person or doing a family gift exchange. Because my family began doing this a number of years ago and it's really changed our day because at, at Christmas in Conyers, all my aunts and uncles come, all my cousins come. And when I was little, I mean, there's like 40 people in the room and there was this pressure to get a gift for every single person. And so then you're getting all these little trinkets and, and at the end of the day, the room is just filled with wrapping paper. And if somebody showed up wondering what happened, they'd think it was a big birthday party. And it was just kind of stressful and it was becoming too much. And so somebody had the idea, they said, why don't we just draw names and get one person something this year? And actually now the gifts are more meaningful. Everything's a little more manageable and the stress is lower in the household. Another practical idea on here, this is something Emily and I do, um, is we, we just set a spending limit for each other. And each year we just look at our budget and it's going to be different for every household in here. We just say, hey, you know what? This is maximum what we're going to spend on each other this year. And this also prevents fights on Christmas morning when one person spends, you know, hundreds of dollars and the other person gets them a $10 Chick-fil-A gift card. Um, and so, you know, you can try to set spending limits um, we just want to encourage you this year to think about celebrating things differently, spending less, simplifying your Christmas. And what I've found is that it's often kids in the household who are more open to simplifying things and changing things than it is the adults. Oftentimes it's us who are harder to change when we have these traditions that are so deeply rooted in our families. And so in closing, I just want to share with you one final tradition. It's a tradition I heard from Rick Warren a number of years ago. And he said, since Christmas is not your birthday and Christmas is Jesus's birthday, what are you going to give Jesus this year for his birthday? And that's a, a good question to begin asking as a family and asking personally in your life. And, and this week, while it's on spending less, next week we're going to talk about giving more and some different types of gifts that we could give Jesus and other people this year. And so I invite you to reflect on that question this week. And let's ask and pray that we would meet Jesus, the one who changes everything in our celebrations this year. Jesus, we, we confess to you that we have believed the stories of this world. We've believed the lies that that more stuff is going to give us more joy. That if we find the perfect gift, then we're going to have the perfect Christmas. But Jesus, we know that the only perfect Christmas comes from knowing you, our perfect Savior, and having you at the center of our lives and the center of our celebrations. And so Jesus, we just ask you, we know that you have the power to change everything. And so Jesus, we just ask that you would change our celebrations this year help us put you first to put you forward and as we do may our lives be a light to the world a light that reflects what Christmas is really all about you the king of kings the lord of lords God with us who sacrificed everything so that we could have life abundant and life eternal we ask all these things in Jesus' holy name.